Hey friends, welcome to the Mosaic Podcast. I'm Shannon Leibold, and I'm here with my co-host Lynn Martin, and we're so glad you've joined us. This is a podcast for the women of Wallenstein Bible Chapel and beyond. It's a space where we celebrate how God is turning brokenness into beauty. Each week, we chat with a guest and share stories from our own lives. As Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's masterpiece, His work of art, and He's shaping us into something beautiful in Christ. Welcome to the Mosaic Podcast. I'm Shannon. And I'm Lynn. And this is episode 47, and we are finishing our series on discipleship today. So we hope you've enjoyed this conversation about how we learn and grow and mature in Christ. It's been a really great conversation. I think it's one that we can continue, right? Like it's oh, it's a sure. never-ending conversation. So yeah. even though we're ending the book, we're not ending this conversation. <laughs> That's right. So we just want to uh, start by talking a little bit about what we're doing in our next series. We are going to be starting a three three podcast episode series called It Is Very Good. And we are going to be talking about body image. And so this is, I mean, this is a topic of conversation among women everywhere. So true. Yeah, it's something I I think I can safely say that most of us, if not all of us women struggle with. And um, we're reading a book called Breaking Free from Body Shame by Jess Connolly. And um, I read this book, oh, I can't exactly remember when, probably about a year ago. And it really impacted me. Um, It's been in the last couple of years that I've really started to Um, take exercise seriously, take um, eating healthy seriously, because uh, my body is changing. And quite frankly, I don't like the changes. And so I was trying to do something about it. And reading this book really just shifted my perspective and helped me to understand that my body is not a project. Mm -hmm. God made it and he made it good, and it's what I have to use in this world to expand his kingdom. And so while you know we are called to good stewardship in taking care of our bodies in a God-honoring way, which I think is really important and wise, um, I can't manipulate my body to look like I did when I was 20. And I'm beginning to accept that. <laughs> <laughs> beginning. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to this book. Well, it's a tough thing, isn't it? Because, like you said, this is something that I think that touches all of us. And so as we've been sort of building up to this coming um, series and, and talking with some different women as we've been navigating what it's going to look like, it's really struck me just how much of a stronghold this is for so many. And it's one that we don't maybe talk about we 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 could joke about it maybe or mm-hmm. and maybe to a few close friends but i mean how many times do we go i can say to myself i go past the mirror and i don't say nice things about myself when i do that mm-hmm. you know and that is just so profoundly wrong um i'm just going to read what um amazon has to say about the book just like a little bio about it because it just sort of encapsulates what we want to do with this series so um 
it says, far from a superficial issue, self-image is a spiritual issue because God has named your body good from the beginning. Whether you struggle, whether your struggle is with eating and exercise habits, stress or trauma, infertility or injury, this book makes space for you to experience God meeting you in this tender place and ring his freedom bell over your body in a whole new way. Mm. So, you know, like we always say, you don't have to read the book um, to follow along and listen in, but we think we're, you're going to be really touched by this coming series. Mm-hmm. And it's an easy read. So, I, yeah, we encourage you to, to get it. and We always encourage you to get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the more the better, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> so, as I mentioned, today we are finishing our series on discipleship, and we are having our last uh, book discussion on the book by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And this conversation is covering the topics obedience, community, and blessing. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the epilogue as well. So, uh, Lynn, would you read the psalm for obedience, which is Psalm 132? As a reminder, we are this book is going through the, the Psalms of Ascent. And so we're finishing up with those psalms. So Psalm 132. So they're coming to the end of their pilgrim journey to Jerusalem. And Psalm Psalm 132 says, O God, remember David, remember all his troubles, and remember how he promised God, made a vow to the strong God of Jacob, I'm not going home, and I'm not going to bed, I'm not going to sleep, not even take time to rest until I find a home for God, a house for the strong God of Jacob. Remember how we got the news in a pathra, learned all about it at Jar Meadows. We shouted, let's go to the shrine dedication. Let's worship at God's own footstool. Up, God, enjoy your new place of quiet repose, you and your mighty covenant ark. Get your priests all dressed up in justice. Prompt your worshipers to sing this prayer. Honor your servant David. Don't disdain your anointed one. God gave David his word. He won't back out on this promise. One of your sons I will set on your throne. If your sons stay true to my covenant and learn to live the way I teach them, their sons will continue the line. Always a son to sit on your throne. Yes, I, God, chose Zion the place I wanted for my shrine. This will always be my home. This is what I want, and I'm here for good. I'll shower blessings on the pilgrims who come here and give supper to those who arrive hungry. I'll dress my priests in salvation clothes. The holy people will sing their hearts out. Oh, I'll make the place radiant for David. I'll fill it with light for my anointed. I'll dress his enemies in dirty rags, but I'll make his crown sparkle with splendor. So this psalm, uh, Peterson said, is about obedience. And he begins this chapter with a story of a time when he was in the hospital uh, recovering from surgery. And he shared the room with another man. And this man, um, there was one point at which he was scared. And he asked uh, Peterson to pray for him. And then um, there was another story. 
day, I don't know how long, day or so where he was doing well and he wanted nothing to do with Peterson. And then he had a moment where he was crazy and he wanted him to pray for him again. And so Peterson was just saying, uh, when the man was scared, he wanted me to pray for him. And when the man was crazy, he wanted me to pray for him. But in between, during the hours of so-called normalcy, he didn't want anything to do with a pastor. And so just the idea that, um, you know, we run to God when we're scared or when we need him, but when life is going well, we don't. And Peterson says, how do we get both the sense of stability and the spirit of adventure, the ballast of good health and the zest of true sanity? How do we get the adult maturity to keep our feet on the ground and retain the childlike innocence to make a leap of faith? Um, I like that contrast between the adult maturity keeping our feet on the ground and the childlike faith that makes us take a risk take a take a leap of faith and so that's how he begins this um this chapter well and and you know when you read the chapter the psalm to begin with it, it's it's really telling a story it's telling the story of how mm-hmm. how david retrieved the Ark of the Covenant and got it back. And this is a story that would have been very familiar to all the Israelites. And and so the story doesn't go into details in this psalm because they would have known the story. Mm-hmm. And so it would have sparked that memory and, and brought that back to them, which um, Peterson says, like, that is part of what keeps us rooted and keeps our feet on the ground, that mm-hmm. that part of knowing our history and, and remembering. And how many times does the Bible tell us to remember you know we have the ordinances of um the the breaking of bread and and the the cup and that those are remembrances because mm-hmm. we are forgetful people and because god knows that we need need these things mm-hmm. yeah so he says the psalm shows obedience as a lively ad- adventurous response of faith that is rooted in historical fact so just mm-hmm. what lynn was talking about and then also reaches forward into a, a promised hope. And so that's 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 how we can obey when we remember what God has done and how he's been faithful. And when we also think ahead with hope and, and trust in his promises. He says um, that Psalm 132 activates faith's memory so that obedience will be seen. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's just a really, really neat... Um, neat way of looking at it because we we aren't basing this just on our experience this mm-hmm. truth we're basing it on on thousands of years of history mm-hmm. yeah he says to obedience is not a stodgy plodding in the ruts of religion it is a hopeful race towards god's promises um, i think obedience gets a bad rap because it seems it's hard first of all um and it it just seems like like a discipline, like something like duty. But when we, when we rooted in God's faithfulness and when we run towards God's promises as we're being obedient, it just frames it in a whole, a whole new way, a better way. And, and even when you think about the title of the book that we're reading, A Long Obedience mm. in the Same Direction, at first glance, that is not a, a promising title. <laughs> you know, that, that doesn't, doesn't sound fun. No, it doesn't sound undergirded with um, excitement because it's like, it is, it's a long obedience. It's our, for our entire lives. It's, um, yeah. it's a journey and we haven't arrived there yet. And so that in itself brings hope because God doesn't expect us to be perfect all the time, but mm-hmm. he does ask us to um 
be recognize we're on this journey and, mm-hmm. and obey as um, as he calls us to. And yet we don't want to reduce the Christian life to a matter of just obeying the rules because that's no, not yep. what it's about. But it is a part of what it's about. And our our obedience is motivated by love. We love God and therefore we want to do what he says and because we recognize too that what he says is what's best for us. He says if we define the nature of our lives by the mistake of the moment or uh, by the defeat of the hour or the boredom of the day, we will define wrongly. So we need these roots of the past that give obedience that ballast and breadth so we can see what happens as a result of obedience. And then we have a vision of the future to give obedience direction and goal. It's a really neat way of looking at it. And, Mm -hmm. And so like you said, it's not about... Um, just having a list of things to do that we struggle with personally. It's that broader perspective of the church as a whole. Mm-hmm. And he ends the chapter with this, for Christian living demands that we keep our feet on the ground. It also asks us to make a leap of faith. What we require is obedience, the strength to stand and the willingness to leap and the sense to know when to do which, mm-hmm. which is exactly what we get when an accurate memory of God's ways is combined with a lively hope in his promises. Because I think the thing is, in this whole idea of history, and I think in our culture we're actually, you know, there's so much going on in history right now where we're trying to ignore it or reframe it or, or whatever. So I love that scripture is so clear but I think personally, I look around and I'm I'm guilty of looking around and thinking, okay, well, I'm doing better than them and I'm doing better than them and wow, I'm actually doing okay. But when I frame it against um, men and women who have gone before me and the history of, of God's people, I, I am sorely lacking. And so I think that that is part of the lens God wants us to look at in with this psalm. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, so great psalm. Uh, Psalm 133 is... It's a nice short one. Is shorter, yes. <laughs> and this topic we've covered. Yes. It's <laughs> again and again. Community, community. So the psalm says this, How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon, flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. And so he begins the chapter by saying, like it or not, when you come to Christ, you automatically become a member of a Christian church, of the Christian church, regardless of whether you're part of a local body, Mm -hmm. you are in the body of Christ, the, the universal church. We are all brothers and sisters in the faith. He says, no Christian is an only child. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we'd really like to be. Yeah. And I think we live like that a lot of the time. We do. Because um, he says, the question is not, am I going to be part of a community of faith? But how am I going to live in this community of faith? Because we are called to live in community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He says... Um, some determine to find out what God has in mind by placing them in this community called a church. Learn how to function in it harmoniously and joyously and develop the maturity that is able to share and exchange God's grace with those who might otherwise be viewed as nuisances. <laughs> and 
that's true. When we live in community, we we need to. Um, there are going to be relationships and situations that aren't always smooth. No, and we're going to be naturally drawn to some people, and some people we're going to want to run when we see them. Mm-hmm. And, and that is just the nature of life, the nature of the fact that we are all different, and we, and there's beauty in that, and, and it's also difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says that. He says living in community is necessary and de- desirable, but it's also enormously difficult. What do you think about this statement? He says... The Bible knows nothing, nothing of a religion defined by what a person does inwardly in the privacy of thought or feeling or apart from others on lonely retreat. Yeah, in our individualistic culture, that I yeah, that goes against everything we how we've structured Christianity and my relationship with Jesus. Yeah. I um and I think, like, how much of my relationship is based on one-on-one with him and versus corporately. Right. And, you know, I don't, I don't go to church every Sunday or every day, um, let alone every Sunday. I miss Sundays. So, like, that is not the priority. But I do try to meet with God daily. Yeah. And, and hopefully even on, like, the goal is always to be meeting with him. So that's a tension that... Um, Honestly, I'm not quite sure what to do with. But to think about that statement as a challenge to yeah. recognize that community is vital in God's economy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's, it is so, so important. And we've talked about it before. Um, he says one way to avoid community is to turn the church into an institution. Wasn't that good? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that just that just got me. We should read that. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Um, so he says, a common way to avoid community is to turn church into an institution. In this way, people are treated not on the basis of personal relationships, but in terms of impersonal functions. Goals are set that will catch the imagination of the largest number of people. Structures are developed that will accomplish the goal through planning and organization. Organizational planning and institutional goals become the criteria by which the community is defined and evaluated. In the process, the church becomes less and less a community, that is, people who pay attention to other, one, each other, brothers and sisters, and more, a collectivism of contributing units. Yeah. So how do you how do you have a church without some of those things? I know that's what I struggle with because uh, yeah, a church the size of Wallenstein needs to have structure and goals and uh, some level of organization or it can't function properly. So yeah, where's the line? Where is the line? And I don't know, but this speaks to some part of my soul that's like, oh yes, this is this is a problem. But, and, and some, well, he even says, um, he talks about, about the community of Christians. Um, somewhere between there is community, a place where each person is taken seriously, learns to trust others. I think he's acknowledging that there, these things have to be in place, mm-hmm. but they are not the focus. They are not the, the main thing. Um, he says a little later, when we see the other, other people as God's anointed, as opposed to 
you know, just functional pieces in a puzzle to make the whole church function, um, that that's where our relationships are profoundly affected. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what to do with that, honestly. Uh, I don't know either. And yeah, it's something church leadership has to wrestle with, I think. Yeah. And I think, I think it can, it's, it's just one of those things that again is, um, it's necessary, but if it becomes the whole priority, then, then we're missing out on the, the heart and the, the spirit mm-hmm. of the church. Mm-hmm. He goes on to say, and I really loved thinking about this, that um, important in any community of faith is an ever-renewed expectation in what God is doing in our brothers and sisters of the faith. And so, w- again, we're so in- individualistic. Mm-hmm. We are always concerned about what God is doing in and through me. But he's saying that we need to have an expectation um, wondering what God will do in this person and in this person and how he'll use this person. And that's, that's a part of being community. That's a part of, of, of um, a community of faith that is flourishing. And I think, yeah, we need to tell those stories. We need to share about what God is doing in our lives and look for the things he's doing in the lives of others. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing to think about. It makes me excited even, um, you know, he, the the psalm itself talks about this anointing oil and how that we are all anointed and that's a sign of priesthood and, and blessing. And, and so to have that um, faithful hopefulness in, in what God's going to do in each of us mm-hmm. um, because all of us are, are part of that. Mm-hmm. And then um, one of the things he says close to the end of this chapter is to imagine uh, spending time with those people that you love the most, that give you the deepest joy, the most stimulating relationships, the most delightful of shared experience, the, the people with whom you feel completely alive. That is a hint of heaven. Mm. And I love that thought. Yeah, so it just hopefully encourages us all, me included, um, to just look around and and look for someone today who who we are in community with and to go deeper into that community. Mm-hmm. The last chapter is called Blessing, and it's Psalm 134. Lynn, would you read that? So this is the last one on the pilgrimage. They've arrived, um, and Psalm 134 says, Come, bless God, all you servants of God. You priests of God, posted to the night watch in God's shrine, lift your praising hands to the holy place and bless God. In turn, may God of Zion bless you, God who made heaven and earth. Mm. So we're thinking about what happens at the end of this road of discipleship. There's been so many things along the way, um, but what happens at the end of faith? What takes place when we finally arrive? Will we be disappointed? And he says the way of discipleship begins in an act of repentance. We talked about that. But it concludes in a life of praise. And and I love that. So that's what we're talking about. And I may be skipping ahead a little, but that's okay. Because he... I just think it's really important to think about this idea of blessing that we are, it's not just an invitation, but it's also a command. And mm-hmm. so for us to say, well, I, I don't feel, feel close to God today, or I think I, 
I just don't feel like it at all, or I don't want to be a hypocrite. That's what I'm been guilty of. And so I can't bless God today because I don't feel like it. It wouldn't be honest. And those are all unbiblical responses because Mm -hmm. God is saying, no, do it. Lift up your hands. Mm -hmm. Praise God. And um, you may not be able to command your heart, but you can command your arms. Mm -hmm. Lift your arms in blessing. And here we are uh, talking in a church that many, many do not do this. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) listen clearly here. Uh, It may not be uh, literally your arms, but maybe just your heart will get the message and be lifted up um, also in praise. So Mm -hmm. we... um, our whole bodies need to do this, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is a command. Bless God. Um, but it, that word bless um, also describes what God does to us and among us. Mm-hmm. So we bless God and he blesses out. He, he blesses us. He pours out his own life for us. He shares the goodness of his spirit, the vitality of his creation, the joys of his redemption. He empties himself among us and... Uh, that's blessing. And so don't don't bank on your feelings for this, but mm-hmm. let, let your feelings um, be in the place where they belong, which is the caboose, you mm-hmm. know, and, and those feelings may come, but we have to change our behavior here first. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what happens when we, when we make a decision to praise God, even when we don't feel like it, our feelings will eventually follow. We can't wait till we feel like doing something to do it because we might never feel like it. And so, yeah, it's that's the way to change our behavior. Well, he says, um, where are we going and what will we do when we get there? And the answer is we're going to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mm-hmm. So glorify and enjoy. There are other things involved in the Christian uh, faith, in the Christian discipleship, which we've discussed throughout this entire um, series. The Songs of Ascents have shown some of them. But it is extremely important to know that the one thing that overrides everything else, um, the chief end of man, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Mm -hmm. Bless God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, God is to be enjoyed. So that's a great way to end this book. But um, there's an epilogue, and I think both of us were profoundly um, affected by what was in here. So Lynn, can you just share a little bit about what stood out to you in the epilogue? Well, I have to say that... um, I was reading this in a hurry, at, and I got to the epilogue, and I thought, oh, maybe I don't need to read this part. And then after I read it, I texted Shannon, and I said, oh, we have to talk about the epilogue. It's worth the price of the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, he just um, he wrote this book quite a long time ago, and, and even now, fast forward to now, he... Eugene Peterson is no longer with us, but um, when he wrote the epilogue, it was 20 years since he had written the the book itself and it is actually a book that um he tried to get published um 17 publishers rejected it Mm -hmm. and but the thing was he just said my entire primary um goal as a pastor has always been um scripture and prayer and and not not just scripture not just prayer but together so much so that he he kind of makes up a word he said he would he would like to fuse them into one single act so scripture prayer or prayer scripture because he says that it is this fusion of God speaking to us which is scripture and our speaking to him which is prayer that the Holy Spirit uses to form the life of Christ in us Mm -hmm. and what does that look like and so he goes on to say um, that 
scripture is not meant to be uh, a place where um, we we look at it and we, we reduce it to pieces of information or a list or um, what are the practical things that we can take from this passage and like reading that is just like you know how many this is how we live really mm-hmm. as Christians so this is what we do we look what can I get out of the Bible today what is there for God to say to me and it's all about me and he says that um, if we're serious about following Jesus and living out the gift of his life we need to do it by reading our scriptures slowly imaginatively prayerfully and obedient and each one of those things is important mm-hmm. so yeah. um yeah, I yeah I love this, and I love the the fusion of scripture and prayer and reading the Bible imaginatively. That's that's what really stood out to me. Um, yeah, because I I don't think we do that. We're so practical. We want information, and we have to remember that the Bible is not its primary purpose is to not is not information. It's formation yeah. because it's a living word it's a it's the only book on the planet that has the power to transform us and so the way we engage with it is so important uh he he says our schools train us to read books so we can pass exams um so we're really good at looking for facts but the bible is not primarily a source of information it is one of the primary ways that god uses to speak to us he's speaking life into us and and so we we cannot use it as a toolbox like this just grips me um it's not a guidebook for getting what we want or an inspirational track to enliven a dull day those things are maybe byproducts but they're not the goal the author of the book is writing us into his book this is what peterson says we are not writing him into ours Hmm. So we find ourselves in the book as followers of Jesus. Jesus calls us to follow him, and we obey, or we do not, which is how he began the book. And so I think that's the call for to all of us. Are we going to obey him, or are we not? Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for listening along as we've gone through this um, book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction. We hope you've been blessed by it. We certainly have. And... Um, We look forward to our next book series on body image. We are here with Wayne Hockley today and very excited to have a conversation with you, Wayne. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We're just going to start. Will you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, your family, what you do? Sure, yeah. Um, it's a privilege and I'm delighted to be here with you guys and sharing today. And, you know, God is good and I'm looking forward to how he'll use this time. So, yeah, so uh, my wife Peg and I, we live in St. Jacob's, so we have three kids and we have two fantastic daughter-in-laws and two grand dogs and two mm-hmm. grandchildren. Oh, I put that out of order. Right? <laughs> so we love our grandchildren um, and they're uh, three hours north, so we don't get to spend a whole lot of time with them. But... Uh, a lot of video conferencing happens. Nice. You know? So yeah, nice. we're uh, we're thrilled about that. I have been I've been an elder here at Wallenstein for twenty five years, and uh, which makes me really old. But uh, <laughs> I I've been on staff for eight, and uh, and so I've had to learn a lot 
about what it means to be a pastor at a church that's growing as quickly as Wallenstein has. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us feel that change at Wallenstein of our growth and, and things. So, and, and that's not lost on me. Uh, I feel that too. Mm-hmm. But I just love the, the role that God has given me here to care for people and help people walk through difficult times. So sometimes it's a crisis. Sometimes it's a, uh, a trauma. Sometimes it's a loss and it's grieving. Sometimes it's spiritual concerns and questions and doubts. And uh, it's my privilege um, to uh, form a team of people here at Wallenstein that give care. And, and, uh, and I'm a big part of that, but I, I just love watching other people use their gifts of mercy and spiritual discernment to give care to people here at Wallenstein in this family. I love this family, this church family, and I just love what I get to do. So mm. I'm pinching myself today. I am, right? No, right? I'm pinching myself? <laughs> you are. Okay. <laughs> it's interesting that you're saying that, though, because you're hearing the raw stories. You're hearing the real stories the yeah. where, where it's hard, right? And mm-hmm. so to be feeling the privilege of that is... Some of us kind of run away from that. <laughs> so so that's, that's a beautiful thing to hear. Um, so, Wayne, as you know, we um, are on a finishing up a journey actually of talking about discipleship and um, we've been having some really great discussions on that Um, but we want to ask you how would you define discipleship and why is it important Mm. thanks for that and thanks for going on this journey and introducing this book and I Mm. hope everyone dug in Um, I'm gonna be honest I haven't had a chance to I'm busy in the other things but I have looked at the book enough to know that there's some really important lessons in it Mm. So I'm a simple guy. I like thinking things simply. And and so my definition of discipleship is, yes, to be at the feet of Jesus and hearing from the Master. Mm. And that is so important. But the second part that I think often doesn't get talked about, and I'm believing that you guys have been exploring this more, is how to walk with Jesus, not just hear the talk of Jesus. If I think about being a disciple, you know, one of the 12, if I was one of those 12, and I wasn't, but if I was, I would have had three years with Jesus. I would have had lots of times when he sat and taught. But a lot more of the time, from what I read in the Gospels, he walked. And he was busy, actively moving, and living out the Gospel in a way that demonstrated, and he brought examples into the disciples' lives to teach them further. But... It's this combination of words and actions. Mm-hmm. And I hope it's okay. I express my heart. I really feel that a lot of Christians are caught in listening to the words. Mm-hmm. And we don't do enough of the actions. And the truth is that if they're not in balance, mm-hmm. our discipleship's not going to be in balance. Mm-hmm. We will not grow as we should because mm-hmm. we're not walking, you know, all for Christ because we're not walking like Jesus did. And so I... Um, that's been my conviction, and uh, that, that we are a people, that I'm a person who listens to what Jesus says, but then I don't expect just to fill my head. Um, if it's going to get to my heart, I have to walk it, and I have to actually put people's faces mm-hmm. and names in front of me in order for it to trickle down from a th- something theological in my head into something that brings real heart change. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately the goal of discipleship, is heart change. 
I want to be part of that. I want my heart changed because, man, I'm a mess most days. So, you know, it's good that God's plan is perfect for us. But in, in discipleship, sit at the feet of Jesus, yes. Walk with Jesus, uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Go together on both of them. Yeah, that's good. Well, and it speaks, I think you're, you're alluding to the fact, too, that it's in community. That yes. it's not just about being by yourself and, right. and filling your head with knowledge and having some great prayer, maybe. But, but yeah, getting out there and being in community and, and seeing the needs as well. Well, and I hope that that's what people, you know, they're hearing this podcast that they're exposed to in their local church, and Wallenstein being one of them, mm -hmm. that, that we are making an environment here where people can serve, where people can use their gifts, that they can feel... Uh, grow, grow in their gifts and their mm. and their needs as they as they can, but we need to be an environment. We need to build an environment here that lets people be free to try things mm -hmm. and do new things, and um, and sometimes it's just not going to work, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. We'll try something else. Let's tr okay. Let's 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 walk with Jesus this way. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Wayne, can you share a story from your own life of one example of how you've been discipled? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe I've already kind of alluded in that direction. Um, so, discipleship for me was an interesting journey. I grew up in north of Toronto, Unionville, Markham area. Went to a Christian Missionary Alliance church there, Baptist when I was very young. Um, but there was hardly any other young people in that church. So... I was that keen kid who was saved at five, but sitting in the front row of the church, the morning service and the night service, I always wanted to take in and learn in here. But life was hard for me because I just didn't have many Christian friends. And I was, overall, I didn't have that kind of uh, relationship in my life. So I had to look to adults around me um to give me thoughts and ideas and and fortunately uh god brought those people into my life and and i'm really grateful for it. and I, I probably won't go into all the names because it wasn't one person mm -hmm. it was a whole community of people like you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. and uh but god was preparing me from very young but it p focused me on the fact that the walk with jesus was very important because it would have been really easy for me to get lost in my aloneness, um, my own struggles as a teenager. It would have made it very easy for me to go. And, and I'm not saying I didn't ever do that. Of course I did. I think we all find those struggles. But I'm also um, very aware. I believe that one of the things that I've learned about discipleship in my life has been that we all have a wound, like Paul did. You know, and, and he asked the Lord to take it away three times. And then you wonder, why would a good God not take that away? Well, you know, I kind of think that we all have a wound. And, and what that wound does, uh, it, and our weaknesses, and I had that, and I have that. And it's still the same wounds and weaknesses now than when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. But it keeps me dependent on God. Mm -hmm. I want to be dependent in my walk. And that's the walk part I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So I know in my head I've learned, I've listened to messages and sermons and God's Word and reading and fantastic and, and, and the gospel and the things that we get to learn in the Word are just so uh, inspiring and life-changing. Mm -hmm. But it's in the walk that I understand the reality of that life change. Mm -hmm. And not only for me, but sometimes I see it 
in the people around me. Mm-hmm. And that has been blessing to, a blessing to me. Mm-hmm. So this, you've got this relationship and community. For me, when I was younger, people who have walked walks and learned things from God, and I admired, and I got to pick up some of the great lessons that God had brought into mm-hmm. their life. And then hopefully, somewhere along the way, a few things I've learned have, have been able to be a blessing to others. Well, and I love actually the example you're showing of how um, it's there's we have relationships with not just our own peer group, that that and that is clearly what discipleship is. But but sometimes we don't recognize that until a lot older. Mm-hmm. Ourselves, Are right? you calling me old? Then I just want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you no. think you're old? You're only as old as you think you are. <laughs> I don't know. This has been a big year for me, so I feel. Oh, like, I feel we're old. not going there. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's um, like you know. I think you know. We go to school and we're put in our little groups, and this is our age group, and so that's our peers, mm-hmm. and that's who we're with. And and I think it sometimes can take us a long time to realize. Oh no, there is so much that that older person can share with me. But it sounds like you learned that at a much younger age, which I think is really beautiful. Well, thank you. And and yes, I've been blessed by that. And I guess I just don't think that God does anything by accident. No. And and so if if I'm in a church, this is where I am right now, and and there's someone's talking to me and is this an accident or is this a divine appointment? Yeah. Well, I've chosen that it's a divine appointment. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that God has uses people to uh, help us understand the breadth and the depth and the width of, of not only Christ's love but the word and how to apply it mm-hmm. in life. And I don't I don't take what everyone says to me as gospel truth. Please don't misunderstand me. Mm-hmm. But there are people I just really admire and I know they know me and I know they love me and I know that even though they might be wrong, they're talking to me about something I'm gonna assume that God has a reason for talking to me about that. Even if the result of that conversation, they're wrong perhaps, okay? <laughs> but even if the result of that conversation is for me to stop and pause and make sure there's no uh, log in my eye. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I find it so easy to be looking at the wrong things. My heart wants to wander into areas off the track. And back to discipleship, I need to make sure that I'm listening primarily to one voice in my life, and that's Jesus. But I think he also uses people. Well, and it almost sounds to me like you're saying like that you're seeking discipleship constantly. with like not, not that everyone is a disciple to you, but that you're looking for that. Like you're seeing, okay, there, maybe God's going to use what this person has to say and what this person has to say. And, and so that kind of leads into this next question. Um, Sometimes we make discipleship harder than it is. Uh, what are some ways to make discipleship simple? That, to me, is a way to do that. And um, maybe you want to add to that, but it's because it is hard. It is hard. And, and uh, so I, I do need to understand that if God loves me, and, and I accepted that when I was five years old, okay, and he's forgiven me, mm-hmm. but that's only the beginning of a journey. Mm-hmm. And the, the journey is a transformation of my heart. And I know, I know my heart right? <laughs> I know what goes on in my head. It's not always very good. 
And yet Jeremiah 17 tells us that our hearts are despicably wicked. And I think if there's one big misunderstanding around the discipleship or the sanctification journey, is that we don't think enough about how broken we were. Mm-hmm. And then we're 10, 15, 20, 30 years into, into the Christian walk, and we wonder why we're not further along. Well, I kind of wonder if it's sometimes we we think that we are we were pretty good. Our hearts are pretty good. Well, that's not what the scripture says, mm-hmm. right? And, and so God is doing a radical surgery, and why wouldn't He want to do that in my everyday life? Mm-hmm. And so I'm expecting that. Let me let me come back at this question uh, really briefly another way. Sure. I am not the most disciplined person. Okay, so people who tell me that, and this was very much in my youth, that you have to be up at 6 a.m. and you have to, you know, and you have to read at least seven, you know, chapters and pray for 30 minutes. That has never been me. And honestly, it was a huge stumbling block in my early years. And until I accepted, now I'm not accepting laziness, Mm -hmm. okay, but until I accepted how God made me, I'm not that person. And I know what the scriptures say about in the morning. I also know that it's really important that what we think about at night, the last thing we think about before we go to sleep is very important. Mm -hmm. So I have found other ways. And so this is a real, this is a little uh, tip I got uh, when I used to work in the, in the sales, my sales career. Um, There was an executive, a Christian executive in, in, in Toronto. I heard him speak, and here's what he said. This is how he brought God into his everyday, you know, walk. He said, I never walked through a door without praying, and I never picked up the phone without praying. Because mm-hmm. I didn't know what, who was going to be on the phone, and I didn't know who was going to be on the other side of that door. And I don't know what I'm going to be facing. So the prayer was as simple as, Lord, be with me. I need you. I don't know what I'm going to face. And that sort of unlocked for me. That was him. A very busy man with a big schedule, running a $100 billion company. And yet he could take time and build that discipline into his life that let him stay close and and claim the promises of Jesus, that he's with him, and that he'll give him wisdom. That kind of walk and talk is very powerful to me as a person who struggles with the idea that this is what good looks like. It has to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. So I'm not against disciplines. And if you can get up at 6 a.m., fantastic. Please do it because that's how God made you. But for the rest of us who don't quite do things life that way, give us a little grace. Let us, uh, mm-hmm. let us, But let us be determined. Because you're practicing the presence of God. You're learning to have God Throughout be part your of day. Where else do you want to get, yeah. you know, from the Word and from practicing and yeah. being reminded of and let the Spirit move in me and teach me yeah. to keep my heart soft? I need I need Him every minute. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and we that's all good. do. So, yeah, that's very, very good. good. And there's a plan. The plan is that Wayne's heart will get surgery in it and that some of those yeah. stone and broken things that are there are going to be replaced with flesh, and and, and uh, I want my heart to beat like God's. And the yeah. promise is that God will complete that work. Yes. He will. He yeah, will. That's but I want, to, I'm, I'm, I want to chart a journey that lets him have that, be able to infuse that into me now yeah. as quick as I can, because there are people who need our help, and they need to know what the yeah. lessons that we've learned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we are all on a journey together, right? It's yeah. that long obedience Again, that's good. 
Wayne, what do you think makes discipleship difficult in our current culture? This is a great question, and I've had to spend a little time thinking about it. So, um, sometimes I'm concerned when people come to talk to me, and I get the chance to talk to people with all kinds of situations, right? Like, mm -hmm. so everything from crisis to mental health to uh, spiritual concerns or doubts. And, and when I'm sitting with people and I, I'm able to draw in, in broad conclusions some things, one of the underlying foundational issues around discipleship that I find is that people are discouraged in their walk with God. Mm -hmm. And... and uh, and I think one of the reasons that they're discouraged is, one, they think they need to be transformed faster. Mm. And, and, and so the, to the book that people have been reading, I hope one of the great lessons out of the book is that, like Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17 talks about, a mature believer is like a tree. Well, a mature tree takes a lifetime yeah. to grow. Exactly. And it's measured in terms of centimeters, not meters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm growth right yeah. and yet the strength and the power of that tree is when you see a tree that's 50 years old right you know that it's weathered a lot of storms mm -hmm. and been through a lot and it is strong and it is solid and i think that's god's call for us but we're when we're younger and we're twigs <laughs> yeah it's okay to be a twig do you think it's because we live in an instant everything culture that we want our, our spiritual maturity to be instant? Oh, I think that's a big influence to culture outside, but I also think we reinforce it sometimes inside the church. Yeah. And, and so just letting my heart, you know, share with you here, we need to let people relax on this. And, and we just need to focus on the right things. Um, back to the tree question, if we're focused on where we direct our roots, mm -hmm. okay, into Christ, Ephesians 3, into his love, and we learn and understand how solid our relationship is in life, that, we, that he's our defender, that he will nourish us, that the, there's purpose in the struggles of life that we have, and, and so the downpours of life, so to speak. And all of that actually builds strength and power into us. Mm -hmm. And that's what he uses to, to feed us. That's one area. If we can do that, fantastic. The second area is, is where we direct our branches, which is like the obligations and decisions of life. Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my resources? I know it sounds so normal, but honestly, I, I, I think we make it so complicated in the church. And I just wish from the tree we learn those lessons. It's where you direct. It's where you direct your roots. It's where you direct your life decisions. You, we have the responsibility there. God is the one who's going to infuse us with the sap and the nourishment we need. He's the one. If we confess our sin, He's going to be the one that lets the sap flow through us up into our leaves, and we're going to reach out for the sun and receive in what we need in order to have life. Mm -hmm. That is his work. Fruit is his work. If we're focused on being more patient and being having greater perseverance and loving better, we're behavior modifying. That's all we're doing. And it's, it's an endless, it's a road of struggle. And I think we should just be trees. <laughs> and that's why I think Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17 are, are left there. 
Because the vast majority of what has to happen for a tree to grow is God's work. Mm-hmm. Well, because even as you're saying this in the, the picture, and obviously all pictures, none of them are perfect, but um, the picture of the tree, the tree doesn't even choose where the branches go. It, it just automatically points to the sun, right? Like you look at trees, that's how they They're grow. They're drawn to the They're sun. They're drawn to the sun. Yep. And so as long as we were, the sun is there where we're growing, then then we're um, there's a there's a rest in that like you don't see a tree working very hard. It's no. like the picture of the vine and the branches too yeah. in John exactly. fifteen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so where does our nourishment come from? I find a lot of Christians are very preoccupied with what their tree looks like and uh, how much fruit, how many branches, you know, how strong they are. And, and if I had one wish for others, that would be that we would just relax. Let God do his work. Mm-hmm. And just yeah. l- let us be the tree that God is making us to be. Mm-hmm. But we have to focus. We have decisions here. If we expend so much of our energy and our resources on things that are not from God, then we should expect that he's going to have to come and prune us. Mm-hmm. Back to the illustration. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to need pr- But is that a bad thing? For God to come and prune us and remove a, uh, an eternally worthless habit in my life, is that a bad thing? Hmm, well, that's a very interesting question mm-hmm. we need to wrestle with. Are we prunable? Will we let him prune us? Mm-hmm. I think that's the call that God has for us. He's, a, he's reminding us, just let me do the growing. Let me help you. Is this a good use of time and resources of your life? Is this a great way for you to sink your roots deeper? Or are you just staying on the surface? Are you just attending church to catch a little bit of this and check it off the list? Well, if we're all for Christ, that's not who, that's not who we want to be. An all for Christ disciple is saying, I want to learn, but it's not going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. It's in the little decisions, the 10 minutes. Where, where can I spend the next 10 minutes of my day and just dream a little bit about the goodness and graciousness and the love of God as I drive from here to there? Now, please keep your eyes on the road, okay? But, <laughs> but where we spend our time, where we direct our thoughts, mm-hmm. where we let Him feed us the decisions we make, all of these have big implications. Mm-hmm. I think it's so true, right? Our perspective on these things are, are you know, everyone can get up in, at six in the morning and read something, Wh- no, whatever I'm not, it I'm is. Not sure when. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm actually with you on that. I'm not a morning person either, but um, you can make that decision and do it. But if your perspective, if your heart isn't there, then you're not going to get very far either. Um, and I think though too is that as a disciple, like as we're seeking to be discipled. Uh, we just want that list. What do I do? A, B, C, D, and then I've got it. And then we want to know, okay, check off, and now I can move on. So um, if someone is listening and they're wondering, okay, how do, I, how do I do that? And I think you're saying things, you know, like rest and, and allow God to, his truth to sink in. Um, are there some other things you could add to that? Because some of us just want nuggets, right? We just want a, something to just, okay, how can I find um, how can I find someone to help disciple me? Um, what what are some things I can do to help to grow that kind of relationship? Well, I think that God puts us like we talked about earlier. I think God puts us into community, and we need to prioritize community. Mm-hmm. That is one of the reasons why 
in the WBC Family Commitment, you are hearing from us that we really think that attending and being in person at church is important. Because it's it's in these connections. And so when we're here at church, I'm just saying one example, because I'm hoping that more people will be involved in other ways that they are connecting. Whether it's at the grocery store and you bump into another believer, or if it's in a small group, or if it's uh, in a, you know, a discipleship learning class, wherever it is in relationships, we should not expect that God is not part of that part of our journey. Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And again, it's back to the decisions. Am I going to make time to do these good things and put the habits into my life I need? Um, and even when I fail, uh, there'll be people around that God can move into our lives to say, it's okay. I failed too. And so let me just say it. I have failed more often than I've done good in my discipleship habits. You know, I'm 58 years old, which does make me old. And, or I feel... No, it doesn't. <laughs> Thank you. That's grace. That's fantastic. It's not as old as I thought it was. A long time ago. No, no. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah. But you know what? As we go through our life and we look back, I think that we can see that God uses a lot of these small things. And, and we get hung up on the checklist of life and what mm-hmm. good looks like, and we discourage each other. No, let's let God do the work. When you, are, when you sit beside someone in church, or you are a leader for a youth small group, or whatever role, you're a youth person here, and you've got a good friend who's maybe, you're not sure where they, find an encouraging thing from the scriptures to share with them. Mm-hmm. Put a, be a blessing. Let God move through you, into those other people. And in that way, you are walking like Jesus did. Because Jesus didn't just keep all the good news of the kingdom to himself. He was, and it's not just because he was Jesus and God, he was also human. 100% human. So he felt in that crowd of vicious people that he needed to say something hard to, that would have been hard for Jesus too. Right? We can do it. He understands us and he'll give us what we need. But let's be on a mission to make an impact on people around us. In that way, it keeps my heart soft towards God because I know I need Him. And so I'm not really answering your question. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, if you can, I, I'm, I'm switching the question around. I'm saying if, instead of always only asking if what people can feed me, right? let's feed others. Well, I'm hearing you say too, though, that it's, it's about relationship. And it's about being present in relationship. And that um, some of the things that we have as checklists should actually just be the overflow of our heart Mm -hmm. if we're rooted properly. Mm -hmm. And so if we are rooted in Christ and that is just coming out of us, we we naturally want to talk about Christ. It's not a, I'm going to do this. It just happens because it's just who we are. And then those relationships are growing. Fantastic freedom. Yeah. Yeah. There's fantastic freedom in that message. Yeah. So I hope people listening to this today can be encouraged yeah. to find freedom. And I hear you say too, you know, as we as we allow what God is giving us to flow through us to others, in that we are being discipled by Jesus yes. him, himself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We often in the church, not just Wallenstein, but the Royal We Church, make discipleship about what I need to get. And I think that's very Western. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's it's a consumerism that is not good for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sorry if I've just offended a bunch of people. But I really believe that that's why I'm talking about it is the talk. Listen 
to Jesus and, and listen to only to his voice and let the Spirit of God be your real teacher. So if there's a discipleship relationship you want to nourish, okay, it's the with Spirit of God. Number one, if if and then ask him to bring people into your life for two purposes. One, to nourish you, and two, so you bless them. Because mm-hmm. it is, is God's economy, isn't it? It's that community is, like like we just actually finished reading, we are not only childs in, in God's economy. We are brothers and sisters. We are together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the primary person that you want nourishing your spiritual walk is the Spirit of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is going to tell you and make it clear to you the things that you need to know and understand because He's equipping us for the good works in advance that He has for us to do. Yeah. And we know that His what He says to us is always good. It's for our good, even though I have to be honest, in my journey, there are times I've heard the Spirit of God say to me this, and that's like, what? Mm. Really? Is that good? Like, is this is so hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But when I look back now that I'm older, <laughs> I can say that it was good. Mm-hmm. So along those lines, Wayne, can you tell us about a time in your life where you have felt broken, but God has turned it into something beautiful? Well, I will do my best to put my life into the next few minutes. Um... When I was younger, I had the same group of kids in my class, Unionville Public School, from kindergarten to grade eight. And I was the kid that no one wanted to be with. Mm-hmm. I was bullied. I was uh, uh, excluded. I was the best soccer player and the fastest runner, but no one wanted me on their team. Um, so I had, I grew up, even though I was a child, you know, at five years old, I gave my life to Jesus. Not only did I not have people at church that were my age, the, my, I did not have many relationships with people in my school either. Now, God gave me what I needed, right? But boy, those years were hard. And a lot of formative years, right, mm-hmm. in those years. Mm-hmm. And so um, I did not have a lot of confidence. But I learned one thing. I learned that I could, when people ripped me down and tore me down and trampled on me with their words or their actions or whatever. I learned to use my tongue in a way that could rip people apart. I was so good at it. People would stay away from me because they knew that if they trampled on me, I, I was very good at trampling back. Mm. So part of my journey has been to deal with uh, anger of that injustice in my life. And when I was about 17, here I was saying I'm a Christian and taking, sitting at the front of the church, you know, Sunday morning and Sunday evening, taking in God's word and then ripping my castmates around, you know, and, and having that as my mechanism of defense. And um, so God had to do a tremendous work in me. I had to repent and let God defend me and look after me. Mm-hmm. and restore me because I was very broken. So verbal attacks in my life have been a significant part of my journey. My, it's even today, like if I'm attacked verbally, and I'm just being really honest with you guys, I still have a defense mechanism. I could rip you to shreds. Mm-hmm. So part of my journey, um, 
coming forward is that uh, I'd repent of that, but it's been a process of change. This is my wound. This is the thing that has kept me close and dependent on God mm. because uh, he's used it. So I, I'm a big believer that wounds are, are good for us, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what he's done in my life. And so to tell you today that I, I'm a care pastor <laughs> in a church and I use my tongue primarily to lift up and encourage and build people up, I'm not sure. Like It blows my mind from a redemptive story perspective. The work that God has done, because that was a very deep root in me. Those years of being isolated and put down and isolated was very hard and built a lot of bad habits in my heart. But God has been redeeming me. And I have been tested through my career in different situations um, with verbal attacks. You just can't ever say, right, that words don't hurt. No. <laughs> you just no, please cannot. don't say that. It kind of upsets me, actually. Because they are damaging. They, are, <laughs> they do hurt. And they stay with you mm-hmm. for a long time. You can, you, know, you can remember those words. You can, you can forget the positive words, mm-hmm. but you don't forget those negative ones. So part of the healing for me on the words, okay, so those verbal attacks... I now picture myself being very, very, um, uh, when because ver- in the church, verbal attacks happen too, okay? Mm-hmm. And when you're a leader, I'm aware of the fact that when we make a decision, there's a whole bunch of people that feel isolated and, and not pleased with decisions that get made. And yet, I'm okay with that because I'm, I'm just answering to Jesus. I'm doing my best as part of our elders team to do that. We've want to stay reliant but i know that i need to crawl up under the lap of jesus and i i have made it my mission to learn what he would whisper into my ear the promises of god from a heart that is broken and contrite as he described himself right and he tells me i'm gentle well that's where i want to be so when someone attacks me for whatever reason, not nothing happens every day. But in my life, if I look back over my 58 years, I, I have found that crawling up into the lap of Jesus, just letting him hold me and letting him whisper to me the things into my ear that are his promises. And again, it's just back to the good news Truth. of, of the, the yeah. scriptures. Mm-hmm. I want him to disciple me through that hurt. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that has happened. So that's part of my story. I'm going to hit the fast forward button, but I want to, many of you will know that uh, three years ago, I had a burnout here at Wallenstein. Mm-hmm. I was a pastor, and Ron Seabrook was, we were working together, and and you know what, um, part of my brokenness is that, that uh, I really miss Ron. I really miss the partnership I had with him, although I love Gary and Andreas, and, and the elders have been, you know, a constant for me, the relationship, it's it's, it's a beautiful thing that we were something very special uh, for me being part of the leadership here. Mm-hmm. But losing Ron and then all of the things and then COVID hit, uh, I felt too much of a weight. And I felt not only the cares of the church, but how are we going to meet and, and where are people when I count them? I was counting on them. And um, the, whether I was right or wrong is, is sort of, it, it's, but it's how it impacted me. And so I needed to uh, to to 
heal. And God has let, let me do that here at Wallenstein. I actually don't, I can't believe I'm back in ministry. When I was burnt out, uh, so my definition of burnout is a depression of your workplace. Hmm. So I wasn't depressed throughout all of life. I was just very depressed about anything to do with church. So the pastor, yeah, the old joke, the pastor didn't want to go to church. That was true of me. And the reason was I didn't want anyone to ask me how I was doing mm. because I didn't want to actually share that. Mm. So um, that burnout made me go back and retool. And I had to retool. And I didn't believe I was coming back as an elder. I didn't, certainly didn't believe I was coming back as a pastor. Uh, I thought I'd probably be leaving Wallenstein, actually. I didn't think I'd be part of this church family anymore. But you asked about redemption and brokenness. I was very broken. My wife was fantastic with me. The elders were fantastic with me. Uh, the medical care that I got was great. Um, the 13 different disciplines that I got mentored on, on things that I needed to reintroduce into my life, I, I now use those things to bless others. Because they've been such a blessing to me. And I've, I've had a great deal of restoration. And my spiritual walk with Jesus, I have a whole new level of intimacy with Jesus when I crawl up onto his lap and hear him whispering into my, my heart. He's telling me, Wayne, you messed up, but I still love you. Right? And I do mess up. And I hope that we all can give each other enough grace because if Jesus is going to give me the grace to mess up. Now, I still need to repent and I need to be serious about my repentance. But our sin does not define us. Our failures do not define us. Mm -hmm. It's the relationship that Christ has given me that defines us. Mm -hmm. And in that, I find great peace, great hope. And for now, God has called me to be here at Wallenstein doing this. And I can't imagine doing anything different. Mm -hmm. I'm just so thankful to God. That's that's beautiful. That it is, is beautiful. And I just think, um, I think there are people listening who need to hear that because it's so e easy to think that certain people have it all together. And even <laughs> even me. well, and, and even when they hear, like you know, it was a everyone knew that you had stepped aside for a time and knew that there was a struggle, but oh, he's fine. Like right, it's uh, mentally. I, I was think not that's fine. It, but that's what I think. <laughs> people tend to do because maybe because their yeah. own problems can feel so huge that it's yeah. hard to imagine that anyone else could be struggling but um yeah we are all on this journey and we all uh go through seasons and times of struggle and that's that's really good thank you for sharing that mm -hmm. so when i sit in the church and i look up on the left hand side and see that that helping people find and follow jesus yeah in that picture I see myself there. Yeah. And I'm just on the journey, just like everyone else. Mm -hmm. We should almost have another figure falling down on, on the right side of the cross. <laughs> holding yeah. them up. You could have all kinds of pictures there. Yeah. But yeah, but the, it's not just always steady, steady. No, you know, we need it? each other, don't we? Yeah. And I think God has called us together. There's no mistake here. Yeah. We're all part of something bigger. Mm -hmm. And it's all about helping each other out. So right now, maybe it's I'm helping other people. But I tell people this often. Maybe tomorrow, it's you helping me. Yeah. And yeah. I fully believe that. Yeah. yeah. We need each other. God's put us together for a purpose. And a discipleship process in community is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just love, too, how, you know, God's Word is a grand story of redemption. Mm -hmm. And 
he's writing mini stories of redemption Mm -hmm. on everybody's lives because to take, you know, a young boy and a teenager who used his words to harm other people now growing you into a man who uses his words to help other people. That's redemption. Mm -hmm. That's redemption. And it's beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. Wayne, we'd like to end every podcast with just a few rapid-fire questions Ooh. about your favorite things. Okay. Okay? Maple Leafs. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, we didn't ask that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we know the answer, so we're good. <laughs> What's your favorite food? I love Chinese food. Oh, yummy. Me too. You must be sad that the Chinese food store restaurant left us. Oh, <gasps> don't tell me that. Sorry. That's new news for me. Okay. <laughs> oh, dear. What's your favorite time of the day? I do my best work from like nine at night until midnight. Oh, we are uh, different. <laughs> you can't even text in at nine anymore. <laughs> um, what's your favorite thing to spend money on? Chinese food. <laughs> no, um, um, I don't know. My wife is often cold in the winter, and so I love spending money on things that keep her warm. Oh, that's and I, nice. I'm saying that for her because I know she'll listen to this. <laughs> nice. That's very sweet. Well, Wayne, this has just been a lovely conversation. Thank, Thank you. you so much for joining us and sharing your, your life and your wisdom, and it's been just great to get to know you better. We're so grateful. Thank you. Thank you. So we're finishing up our series on discipleship, and with that, we are also finishing our little series on different art pieces that are landscapes. And um, today, as we record, we are actually in the middle of a beautiful scene outside. Um, There's ice all over the trees, and it just feels like diamonds are sparkling everywhere. It's so gorgeous. The sun is shining. It is these are days where I actually kind of like winter. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> kind of, yes. So it actually fits so perfectly with the piece I have chosen for today that I want to show you. And I'm going to just sort of take you on a little bit of a journey on why this particular piece of art, and before I even tell you what it is, um, why it speaks to me so much. Because if you remember the last time we did an art piece, I showed you one that I actually didn't really care for that much and I wanted to illustrate just how um, this is what art does it, it'll touch us at certain times in different ways and it doesn't touch us all the same so what is it about this painting before I even tell you about it um, I am going to just tell you that I've had this strange um, relationship with the bird called the magpie and um, I actually have not even known what it was what it looked like and I could have easily looked it up but I never did because I would always come across it as I was reading uh, some story because they're very very much native to England and I read a lot of books that take place in um, England because that's um, just how that goes and so these stories of magpies would come up or just they would be mentioned in the description and I would think I wonder what they're like and there's lots of different folklore associated with magpies um in fact they are actually considered one of the most intelligent birds 
or animals to exist. Their brain to body mass is um, outmatched only by that of humans. I didn't know that. I just found that out. But personally, um, very, very drawn to the name of magpie, but they're not native here to where we live. And in the fall, we had the opportunity to go to Alberta to visit friends and there are magpies there. And my friend, as it turned out, was also very intrigued with magpies and she was so excited that she had now discovered magpies and what they look like, which they're actually like not even really well liked <laughs> by, by people, but because they, you know, they, um, they actually like to, they're known for stealing things because they like shiny things. So they, they take things. And like I said, there's all kinds of folklore about them. There's a, um, a nursery rhyme that says one for sorrow, two for joy, three for a girl, four for a boy, five for silver, six for gold, seven for a secret never to be told. So depending on how many you see, that's sort of what your, your fortune is or whatever. All of that to say that I was drawn to this painting when I saw it. Um, Shannon, you're going to obviously know that there's a magpie here. Do you want to describe it to us? Sure. The painting is of a winter scene and uh, lots of snow. There's um, a fence and kind of a wooden rail structure that resembles a ladder and a magpie sitting on top. It's not in the center of the painting, it's off to the left. And then there's a building beyond and trees covered in snow. And so very wintry. Would you say, as you look at it, that the magpie is pronounced? Like, is it... Um, no, no. Very small, really, yes, right? Yes, yeah. But what would that painting look like without the magpie? <laughs> it would just... Yeah, I feel like it would just be a dull winter scene. It, it's so fascinating to me. I was actually thinking as I was driving in, because, um, like I said, it's beautiful ice everywhere as we were um, coming here today. And I was struck by all the birds I saw. And it caught my attention to think, where did they all take cover last night during this mm. ice storm, essentially? Um but there they are. They they survived and they're alive and well and there they are. So I think seeing this magpie, to me at least when I look at this painting, it brings life. It breathes life into this painting, even though he's very small, very um, kind of nondescript, really. It's, it's because the name of the painting is magpie that that's what we know what the bird is. Otherwise, we might might be hard to tell. So um, all that to say, I was just so drawn to this painting, also because it's it's painted by Monet, and I really, really love Monet. I'm just going to close by um, reminding you that, you know, we just want to just pause and look, and, and that is what we're doing when we look at paintings. And I'm going to read this quote quickly that um, was written about this painting itself, which I thought was really interesting. So um, someone else... Terry Glasby, who loves this painting, he says, Looking at the blue-gray shadows that stretch upon the almost undisturbed ground, I can feel the chill of this winter morning. As I look, I half expect to see my breath, cloud-like as I pull my coat snug around my body. I can almost hear the soft thud of a clump of snow dropping from the branches above. I stand transfixed. 
If I pass over such a sight too quickly, I have missed the gift that it is. I have missed an opportunity to find that inner stillness I desire. There are many paintings that have this kind of power to still our inner turmoil and give us a reminder to stop and pray. So whether you're looking at an actual landscape or a piece of art today, I pray that you would find that moment where you can stop. For our teaching time today, I want to give you some space to reflect on your discipleship journey. Um, as a follower of Christ, we need to be continually learning from Him and growing in Christ-likeness, and it's good for us to just pause and evaluate where we are in that discipleship journey and, and hear from God in terms of how He's calling us forward. So what I'm going to do is ask you a series of questions. I'm going to pause for a few seconds after those, but if you want to, you can actually pause the podcast and, and think through these self-reflection questions and just ask the Spirit to search your heart and to speak to you. So these are questions from John Wesley, his self-examination questions. Number one, am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I really am? In other words, am I a hypocrite? Do I confidently pass on to others what has been said to me in confidence? Number three, can I be trusted? Number four, am I a slave to dress, friends, work, or habits? Number five, am I self-conscious, self-pitying, or self-justifying? Number six, did the Bible live in me today? Number seven, do I give the Bible time to speak to me every day? Number eight, am I enjoying prayer? Number nine, when did I last speak to someone else of my faith? Number ten, do I pray about the money I spend? Number 11. Did I get to bed on time and get up on time? Number 12. Do I disobey God in anything? Number 13. Do I insist upon doing something about which my conscience is uneasy? Number 14, am I defeated in any part of my life? Number 15, am I jealous, impure, critical, irritable, touchy, or distrustful? Number 16, how do I spend my spare time? Number 17, am I proud? Number 18, do I thank God that I am not as other people, especially as the Pharisees who despise the publican? Number 19, is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, 
hold a resentment toward or disregard? If so, what am I doing about it? Number 20. Do I grumble or complain constantly? And last question, number 21. Is Christ real to me? So those are 21 questions that John Wesley regularly asked himself, and I think they're good for us to ask ourselves as well. And they're hard, aren't they? No doubt one or two of them stepped all over your toes as they did mine. But we know there's no condemnation in Christ. So um, ask the Spirit to help you move forward in Christ-likeness in all of those areas. And maybe focus on one or two that he specifically put on your heart today. That is so good. I wonder if we could put that on um, our Facebook page for people mm-hmm. who would like to sure. just have a look at them because they um, it's so good to sit and, and do, you know, some people call it the prayer of examine or, or whatever, but just to reflect and to pause and say, how, how have I met God today and how have I failed to meet him? And, and really, essentially, that's what those questions Mm-hmm. cover. And I think it's good for us too to think about where we are in that discipleship journey. Yeah. And those questions help us do that. Really so great. Thank you for sharing those. And um yeah, I know. I like you said I like that you said just maybe take one or two because I think yeah, I could take one or two a week and just just dwell on those a little bit. So, as we close off today, um we pray that this will just only be um, the continuation or the beginning of of your discipleship journey and, and what that looks like. And know that wherever you are on it, whether it's in a time of celebration, a time of um, hope, or a time of hard times, um, know that we're praying for you and, and we pray that you would be seeking God. Um, so we want to thank Wayne Hockley for joining us today as well and we look forward to our next series we look forward to having you join us so I'm going to close today um, with that reminder that we are in community and that none of this is um, on our own we are not um, only childs of God we are brothers and sisters together and so I'm going to close with reading Psalm 133 and I pray you're encouraged today how wonderful How beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing, ordains eternal life. listening to the Mosaic Podcast, a podcast for the women of Wallenstein Bible Chapel, where we meet one another in story, in art, and in Christ. You can subscribe by going on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or Google Podcast so that you will be notified when the next show drops. Also, please be sure to check out our show notes for more details and join in the conversation on either Facebook at mosaic.podcast.wbc or on Instagram at mosaic.podcast. We pray that you will be inspired and encouraged 
as you travel your own personal journey from brokenness to beauty.